Good afternoon, and thanks for tuning in to the Ball Talk Pod with Evan Kinsner and Shaden Jones. Today, we are very excited to announce that former NBA player Maurice Evans is here to join us. Mo, thanks for joining us. Evan, thanks for having me on the Ball Talk Pod. I'm really excited to uh, speak with you all, and I'm looking forward to having a great conversation. Mo played for seven different teams in his 11-year career, playing for the Timberwolves, Kings, Pistons, Magic, Hawks, the Wizards, and my favorite, the Los Angeles Lakers. He currently works with Every Level of Success, also called ELOS. Mo, can you tell us what your business does and what it brings for people in leadership roles? Most certainly. I mean, I'm really excited to be able to to bring together, bring forth to the market a a technology that allows players to uh, fully monetize their their brand, separate and apart the teams and organizations that they play for. There's a lot of players who have successfully transitioned from the sport into business, such as a Michael Jordan, a, um, a, a Magic Johnson, Jamal Mashburn. Uh, if you look at, you know, other players, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant and, and, and players of that, of that magnitude. But the challenge is, is for the common player, like myself, who played 11 years and still have a lot of brand equity, a lot of people don't know how to monetize their brands. And even if you look at a Michael Jordan, who has successfully gone on to become an owner of the Charlotte Hornets, he also has his own brand, Jordan. Even him, he only gets a fraction of the revenues that are generated from his own brand. And so we want guys to be able to, guys and girls, whoever the influencer is, is to be able to take ownership of their brand and fully monetize it because it's a challenge to see a player of any sport only be able to monetize their brand so long as they play uh, for their respective team as opposed to being able to own the names, the images that they have in perpetuity. I just today went online to go uh, leverage an image of myself in the Laker uniform and getting images attempted to charge me more than $2,100 to access that image for the year. And I think it's a shame that players that we went out and created those opportunities, but the only people who own it is the actual league. But we're excited to be able to bring forth our ELOS digital app that allows players to now connect to the opportunities, whether they're in their career and their post-career. Yeah, I think that your business is awesome, as many players, after their playing careers, don't really know what they do after they retire. And with helping them uh, get more revenue from the things that they've done, it uh, really helps them out, and it's just great to hear that a former player like you takes a stand to help others out. I think that in business, you have to have a game plan, and with your group helping people out, that is such a great idea. There isn't a lot of NBA players who go into business uh, after their playing careers, but when you hear the players who go into that field after their careers, like Magic Johnson, like you said, Michael Jordan, Yao Ming, who owns a the team in the CBA, and Jason Kidd, to name a few. You just hear of how incredibly smart they are. And I think that with your company helping out even more basketball players, they too can get into business. So I really like that you're helping them out and making sure they can get as much profit as possible. No, I appreciate it. And the thing that we're so super excited about is the fact that, you know, I do have real uh, experience. I've invested in more than 10 different companies. I've worked in different C-suite capacities with those uh, companies, and I've realized that sports technology is really my niche. And so I know a lot of our players, 
we individually invest in companies. And oftentimes we only invest our physical dollars and we're not able to go in and leverage, you know, our brand and the transitional skills that we have to be able to help these companies grow and scale. And so this is one of the first player, first and only, you know, player-owned uh, horse technology companies. So now I can leverage that experience having negotiated the current collecting and bargaining agreement and having gone out and, uh, you know, worked with a lot of players. So the inner knowledge that I have from being a part of uh, vice president of the Player Association, realizing that, you know, more than 60% of our NBA players filed bankruptcy within five years of retiring. And 78% of our NFL counterparts filed bankruptcy was just in two years of retiring. You know, we had deficits that we faced uh, globally in the sports industry, yet that global marketplace is, is, is valued at more than $145 billion annually. So we want to be able to have these players take more ownership of that industry in their post-careers as well as in their current careers. And you mentioned to me offline, Lonzo Ball, in the way that those guys are helping him to monetize his brand by developing his own shoe line early in his career. And those are the types of initiatives that I think the players have to be able to uh, to be more intentional about is realizing the power that they have to leverage you know, their brands and their respective communities. J.J. Watt just did a phenomenal thing with Hurricane Harvey hit in Houston. He raised more than $60 million just leveraging his social influence in the community and allowing his his followers to engage in something that he was passionate about, which was raising money and relief for Hank Harvey, and yet he raised $60 million in just two weeks. Yeah, most people think that LeVar Ball and Lonzo are crazy for going out of their way to make uh, a big stand and trying to trying to gain as much money as possible, and they think he's crazy for going out and talking like that, but it gets people talking, and I think that's great marketing. And they're not going to let uh, another company just go in and do whatever they want and not he doesn't really get a say in it. They want to have their own thing and allow Lonzo to be free and do what he wants in his playing career. Like how you said you want to help the players uh, do stuff freely and gain as much revenue as possible. And he says, LeVar says he'd want a $1 billion contract from one of these big companies like Nike or Adidas or Under Armour, but uh, he's probably not getting that, but he can at least try, and it puts these uh, companies on their heels because they don't know how big this is going to get. Uh, if you look at the Lakers fan base, it's all around the world. It's the uh, biggest following, uh, pro- one of the biggest followings in sports, and certainly the NBA. So Nike and these uh, other big brands should be kind of worried about it because this takes this definitely takes away from what they can do. Uh, the prices, I wouldn't really go that high, 495 for a shoe, but uh, what LeVar says, he wants his uh, grandkids' grandkids to be set. So with getting so with getting as much money as possible, his family can be set for life, and it really allows flexibility, and I'm really glad he's doing this. Yeah, I mean, I think that LeVar Ball has good intentions. However, I think that his methodology is somewhat flawed because you don't have to go to that extreme to create generational wealth. I think that it's great to be intentional about your brand, but the challenge is, is that it's the same the same challenge that LeVar Ball and Lonzo Ball and others are having with um, with his methodology is that there's no true uh, metric that allows uh, someone to uh, value or quantify and measure the equity of the brand 
equity of a player like him. He just transitioned out of UCLA where he didn't win the national championship. He didn't, uh, you know, he wasn't the player of the year or any of those types of statistics, right? And so when you, I mean, and maybe in a conference, but, you know, in terms of the overall player of the year, somewhat, you know, the number one pick in the draft, I mean, it's great that he had um, great success as number two pick because he's talented as, as, as any player in the draft. He has that great upside. But yet, when it comes down to him having converted on that potential, no one knows. So now to have Nike or other companies come in and take that risk, we don't know if he's going to convert into the next Jason Kidd or Magic Johnson or LeBron James or whoever he's going to be, right? And so for them to have to pay that upfront value, now they're going to either overvalue or undervalue his brand. And for him to come out and not have proved the the necessary, uh, have necessarily accomplished the tangible things that makes an influencer like LeBron James great is the fact that he's been to consecutive NBA Finals, that he's been uh, MVPs uh, multiple times over, that the fact that he's won multiple NBA championships. And so now you have to look at and say, what is LeBron James' brand worth, right? But now if LeBron James' brand is worth X, then what is Kyrie Irving's brand worth? What is Lonzo Ball's brand worth? And that's what our company, Elos, does. We take, um, using our proprietary uh, system, we assess a brand value that's real in real time that allows fans and brands to connect to their favorite influencers and now have an accurate uh, benchmark to now know how to value the products and services of Alonzo Ball and any other player. Well, speaking of the Lakers, you were a member of the Los Angeles Lakers and you played with star guard Kobe Bryant. In the summer of 2007, Kobe requested a trade out of the Lakers organization in a radio appearance with Stephen A. Smith. What do you remember about that, and what was the feel of the team at that time? Um, repeat the question. I'm sorry. Uh, in the summer of 2007, Kobe requested a trade out of the Lakers in a radio appearance with Stephen A. Smith. What do you remember about that, and what was the feel of the team at that time? Sure, I remember a lot about that moment. I just wanted to make sure I had it had it on correctly. And so Kobe was a little bit dissatisfied with um, with the team's positioning at that time. He didn't feel that he was getting the appropriate support that he needed from the Laker organization. And sure enough, uh, you know that was his his way of uh, letting it be known that he was unhappy. And because Kobe had the type of talent that he had, um, he was able to 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 be more vocal. Um, about what it is that he wanted, and the Lakers responded with the trade for Trevor Reza and Power to Fall. And I was actually one, I was, I mean, I remember it because I was one of the uh, players who was traded to Orlando. Brian Cook and I were traded to Orlando in exchange for Trevor Reza. And, uh, and Power to Fall was traded in for Kwame Brown, and they went on to go to the NBA Finals um, that, 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 that year. And they also um, ended up winning the championship. Uh, uh, the, the the following year, so I remember very much that transaction. Did you ever talk to Kobe about it? Did he ever publicly talk to the team about it in like the locker room or show his concern with them? Uh, no, Kobe didn't uh, talk to us about about his uh, about his in- intentions to, uh, to to make those moves. And obviously, had he had you know, we, none of us had the ability at the time to. To, uh, to to steer the direction of the team, and obviously he ended up winning a championship. So the moves proved to be uh to worth be noteworthy, you know. 
And, you know, the Lakers, as you said, is a really powerful brand. Kobe was one of the, the best players that I had the opportunity and the privilege of competing against. So I was appreciative for the time that I played for him, and it gave me an opportunity to go and play in Orlando and uh, have one of the best years of my career as well. There were many rumors circling around about next offseason's free agency period. Many of the rumors are that free agents are really wanting to play for the Lakers with Magic Johnson at the top of the organization and Lonzo Ball leading the way at point guard. used to play for the Lakers, so you know what it was like playing there. Is it better playing there than other cities you played in? You know, the Lakers is just one of the, they're the most winningest franchise in all of sports regardless of the of the of the vertical, whether it's in NFL, NHL, MLB, et cetera. They're the most winningest franchise in history of sports. And so that's why their global brand makes it very uh, a unique playing experience because everywhere you go, whether you're on the road or at home, you have followers, you have people who are supporting you. And support is obviously something that's uh, very valuable in anything that we do, especially in professional sports. So I don't think that it's necessarily uh, a better experience than others because it's a blessing to be able to play professional sports regardless of where you play in a big market or smaller market. But those are the distinct competitive advantages you have playing for the L.A. Lakers. Yeah, as you said, the following is always there, as we saw in Las Vegas. We had sold-out crowds for the Los Angeles Lakers summer league team to see Lonzo Ball, and I was there to see it, and it was crazy. I've never seen an atmosphere like that. But... The biggest factor in this, I believe, is that the Lakers, you just feel a new vibe. In an interview the other day, general manager of the Los Angeles Lakers, Rob Palenka, said that Bill Burtka, a former assistant coach for the Lakers, who has been around the team for decades, said, In my 50 years, I've never seen a young group of Lakers players compete like this, ever. So clearly people in this organization see it, and word has gotten out around the league is why I think the main reason players want to come here again and as you said, also, the, they see the winning history. And the, they say people, they say the players don't really think about that as much. But you see what Gordon Hayward, he went to Boston because of winning. And they're past also. And he thinks they're going to get back there. And with our young players, I think that they can come back there too. So, yeah, I think definitely the draw of the championship atmosphere definitely draws players in. And that would you have would you have stayed with the Lakers if when your contract expired would you have resigned with them if the opportunity arose? I would have certainly I, I would have certainly loved to have continued to play for the Lakers. It was one of the as I said, it's a storied franchise, and it's hard to go wrong when you when you have the opportunity to be a part of a franchise like the Lakers. I mean, everywhere I go, people still remember the times that I had there, and it was one of the best years of my career. And so, you know, uh, Rob Lincoln is absolutely correct in that they have a great uh, young nucleus. It's always L.A. will always be a destination place for free agents, and they will soon again be able to contend for, for NBA championships. You played in the inaugural Big Three season, and I got to see you play in Lexington for one of your games. What was that like playing in the new league? It was phenomenal playing the Big Three. I think that I too did a phenomenal job in, in developing a league and a concept that allows players to uh, continue to play beyond their prime years. And the other thing that I think is really brilliant and unique is that he gave equity in his big three league to the players. 
So essentially, the Big Three is the first and only league ever to give its players equity and allow them to share in the revenues of of the uh, of the overall league. So that will continue to incentivize players to come in and play and uh, continue to make that league a success for many years to come. Oh, and by the way, I thought you played well, pretty well when I was when I saw you in Lexington. Thank you, I appreciate it. I was, uh, you know, to to be 38 years old, I still have some pretty. I may not be in NBA shape as I was and be able to jump over the backboard and dunk on people, but I can still, you know, do a couple things to to uh, to help people win. So I look forward to seeing what names they're able to uh, bring to the big three in the upcoming season. Hopefully, being able to compete out there on that platform yet again. Yeah, uh, there has been some speculation that Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Lamar Odom, and possibly Kobe Bryant will join the league. Like you said, bigger names getting in there. So there's a growing sense that next year will and should be much better than year one. Are you going to play next year and hopefully team up with one of these one of these players? Well, I would love to play again with Kobe and play again with some of the, the other players who are going to be in the league. And whether I compete again or not, you know, the first year to me was phenomenal. It was great to reconnect with a lot of guys. And more importantly, it was great to reconnect with the fan base that supported me throughout my career. So I want to first publicly thank anybody who listened to this podcast for their support of Mo Evans just throughout my career, you know. And so um, that with regard to your question, I mean, I think it's going to be phenomenal. I think that the big three staff and organization is going to put together a world-class talent and put together a phenomenal product that people will want to see for, as I said, many years to come. Yeah, uh, I think that if Kobe Bryant joins this league, ratings will absolutely skyrocket. Kobe, you know, is one of the most beloved athletes of this generation and will have the whole city of Los Angeles watching every game if he joins and millions more across the world. I really hope to see him there and KG and Pierce too. Pierce publicly said that he is going to recruit KG and because of the epic rivalry they had in the Lakers versus Celtics. But, of course, Pierce wants to be the best team possible. And with his utmost respect to Kobe, I'm sure he would like to team up with him once. But... The fans want to see another showdown between the two, of course. And what you said about Ice Cube, uh, I love that he, he put his idea into reality. As many people have been hoping something like this would happen for years, including myself. But the attendance for the games was somewhat of a letdown. And there were some disappointed fans as Allen Iverson either didn't play or wasn't at the game. Do you see the league improving in the future and becoming a marquee league? I do. I don't think it's going to become a marquee league in the in the in the traditional sense of the NBA or NFL because it's not catered. They're not the same resources, and the players aren't in your prime. So it's going to be a different uh, a different uh, form of, of 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 entertainment, right? And so to those people who were disappointed at not being being able to see an Allen Iverson, forty three year old Allen Iverson not playing his prime years, I don't think that they truly understand uh, the value of a big three league. The value of a big three league far exceeds a Allen Iverson um, in, in watching him go out and, and, and play and cross over and do all the things that he did in his prime years because he's not able to do those things. But what you get to see is an Allen Iverson in conjunction with a Dr. J, Julius Irvin, someone who's a legendary player, a George Iceman, German, uh, Rick Berry, uh, you know, Rick Mahorn, and these other 
Clyde Drexler like uh, legendary coaches along with other players who have contributed to the overall success of the NBA over the past 10 to 15 years. So you got NBA champions out there, you got MVPs out there, you got all kinds of people who have really gone out and giving, provided entertainment to fans throughout the years, and they're coming back to to provide, you know, whatever they have to contribute, the, the skills and, and just their overall brand to those fans to re-engage them. And it's just sun, Saturday, Sunday night entertainment, you know, to come out and watch them play some three-on-three basketball. So if you're interested in that, I don't think there's a better league out there than that and to be it for, for that, for the, for the dollars. That if you're going out there to try and go see some players score 50 points and uh, do amazing things that they did in the prime years, and you're watching the wrong league, you should walk, go watch the NBA for that. Yeah, I was, I was kind of bummed when I found out that Allen Iverson and Dr. J wouldn't be in a, attendance for the Lexington game. But with all new leagues, there's a, there's a growing stage, and it usually takes a little while for – a few years to get it really going and players to really accept what's going on. But I think, I think the players really accepted it great this year. But uh, Alan no, I, Iverson, think too. I think that, I think to your point, you know, it's the same. It's no different than, you know, when you tune in to watch the marquee matchup between Golden State Warriors and the San Antonio Spurs when they find out that both uh, starting lineups are resting that game. And so, you know, it's, 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 and they've been able to survive, but we only had 10 games, you know, and so now the league is becoming more robust and more players are coming. I just don't think it should be uh, overlooked, the contribution that every single player uh, made in order to help get that league off the ground, whether that's the Mucci Norris who only played in a few games, or whether that's Rashawn Lewis, the MVP of the league. It's like every player came out there and contributed, and it wouldn't have been possible had those players not showed up, the ones who did, week in and week out. And even for Alvin Iverson, he lent his brand, right? And he lent his history that he um, amassed over the course of his, his career to the Big Three League. And that's something that they should all be very appreciative for because without him being a part of it, they wouldn't have gotten the eyeballs. Without Dr. J being a part of it, they wouldn't have gotten the, 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 the interest of the fans and been able to even sell the tickets that they did. So I think year one was extremely successful or a big three in an inaugural season. So I was happy to be a part of that. I think another reason Allen Iverson also made the big three, got some more credibility, one of the biggest things that Iverson got was probably the Fox partnership because uh, with Fox already show televising your games in year one, it will, I think it will really continue to grow. And I'm ecstatic to see what year two holds for, for you guys. And hopefully it's back in Lexington next year. Uh, another this this league, Connor, I thought it would kind of be like the basketball tournament as they have on ESPN, and I thought that was really good of Fox to take on this one because uh, it'll have some have some uh, rivalry between ESPN and Fox again with uh, retired basketball players' leagues. So I say Ice Cube probably got a little idea from them to kind of start that. But the, the the big three is a lot better than the basketball tournament. I've tried to watch it, and they just don't have the big-name players. And it really makes casual, even casual NBA fans want to watch this all the time. So I, I watched several games, and it was great. No, most certainly. Well, we appreciate the support. And, again, the big three, um, they did a 
a fantastic job of, uh, of bringing together a business model that consumers have been waiting for. Um, they fill a void in the summer months that there's not much excitement during those months in diversity of sports. And we're used as the sports fans of having a rich uh, selection of a premium uh, sports to watch and for them to, to kind of fill that void. I think that was, a, again, a brilliant uh, idea and uh, to be able to bring it to to fruition that's something that we were really excited about. I've got a question for you. Uh, were you traded this year in the Big Three? I was. I think that I was one of the first or second players to be traded in the league. And, uh, you know, Mike Bibby uh, selected me, he and Ricky Davis, in the first round of the draft. And, you know, we had a really uh, good team. They ended up finishing third. And uh, the challenge with our ghost baller team was that we were a little undersized with myself, Marcus Banks, Mike Bibby, Ricky Davis, and we had Ivan Johnson who played phenomenal all year, but Joe Smith was our reserve. So, you know, when they traded me, I understood that they needed to have a little size uh, there on the team. I went to the Killer Threes who needed a little help from a defensive perspective and just needed another uh, scoring um, guard or guard who could bring different skills. And with Steven Jackson being one of the premier scorers in that league, you know, he was uh, he was great. I think the challenge for us for the Killer Threes is that we ran out of time as we began to jail. The league was pretty much over, and it was a, it was a, a win or go home situation pretty much every every game. And we uh, unfortunately we, we ended up not finishing in time what we what we would have liked. So I hope that we get a chance to uh, to bring back some of those same players and play again. Was Chauncey Billups on your team too? Chauncey Billups, Reggie Evans. Uh, um, you know, Eddie Robinson and, uh, again, Steven Jackson, Brian Cook, you know, was phenomenal in the way that he shot the ball and scored it. Um, he had a one game where he really just went nuts against Trilogy and hit a lot of threes and turnaround jumpers, and it was just fun playing with my old teammates again. That was definitely my favorite team in the Big Three. But uh, speaking of those big-time players you talked about, like Rashard Lewis and Chauncey Billups, uh, you've you played with some other several big name superstars in your career, like Garnett, Chris Weber. I also already already said Chauncey Billups, Rasheed Wallace, Dwight Howard, uh, and also Kobe Bryant. But what made what separated these players from other players you saw? Well, I was really fortunate to play with a lot of great players in their prime. Many of them are top fifty players of all time. And so those players, what really distinguished them was their competitive drive, their leadership abilities, and also just the, um, the competitive, you know, nature that they had to want to just not only be the best as a result of earning a uh, contract, like get paid a lot of money, but just to reach more of their fullest potential. And that was something that I always appreciated about a lot of those players is that even when they made the big dollars, they still showed up in practice. They were early practice uh, players. They left late. You know, they were you know they were just uh, ultimate leaders. And you know, one of them, you know, Joe Johnson. We used to go to the gym, you know, hours uh, early, and uh, uh, just shoot, you know, hours on end. And it was amazing, you know, just to see how, um, you know, how how other players, you know, uh, around the league just grew in respect for these different players because of their work ethic and their desire to compete. Uh, speaking of Dwight Howard, you joined uh, the Magic after the trade with with the Lakers. 
to bring you them uh, along with Brian Cook for Trevor Reza. Uh, Dwight is looking for a fresh start after one year in at Atlanta, a team you played for. Do you think there's been any changes in him since playing with him, or is it just his loss of athleticism? I think that Dwight was, uh, again, there's a lot of changes in the game for everybody to be completely honest. Dwight was a super athlete, you know, in the beginning of his career, and that's one of the adjustments that every player has to make that comes in, most every player anyway, that plays in the NBA. A lot of us, you know, we come in with one skill set, and by the time we leave, we have a refined skill set in that we might be able to shoot better. We're more um, functional as a, as a professional, but we have a decline, a sharp decline in our in our leaping abilities and, and just our movie, uh, the fluidity of movement in, in particular. And so Dwight now has to focus more on playing below the rim. He has to focus on his leadership skills and still being able to be a constant rebounder because he doesn't have to jump over the, the backboard to be able to get rebounds. He can do that just when in his physical stature and boxing out more fundamental uh, aspects of the game. And he also is just a skill of uh, a dominant presence inside. But I think if he's able to, to leverage those skills, first commanding the ball a lot on the block and trying to be a 20-20 a player every night, that's not the same Dwight that I played with when we played in Orlando. Yeah, Dwight is regarded as a really funny guy. Do you have any funny Dwight stories for us? Uh, I can't quite remember any uh, particular stories. I mean, obviously, as you said, he's, he's an extremely um, energetic guy. He's, uh, he's really playful. Um, I've always appreciated the energy that he brought, uh, you know, to the to the table. I mean, the funniest things that I can remember is that, you know, it was such uh, paradoxical, uh, his uh, fun-loving nature and uh, Stan Van Gundy's um, you know, more um, uh, very uh, serious, matter-of-fact, no-nonsense approach to the game, you know, and, and so there were times when Stan would come in very upset and uh, really in a butt-chewing mode, uh, as you could say, uh, of us, and Dwight would lighten the mood because he's got that really innocent, playful, nature and he's getting yelled at and it's not even phasing him because he's just such a uh he was just a, such a kid at the time you know what i mean and and that would always uh you know take some of the steam out of, of stan's bite in some moments and I, I used to really appreciate that about him and it's funny looking back on it but those are the things we used to to really uh bring our team together in orlando yeah uh i personally think that Dwight will bounce back as Steve Clifford can really bring the best out of big men as you have seen with Al Jefferson and even with Marvin Williams and Frank Kaminsky the last couple of years but no doubt Dwight is a fun loving guy and hopefully he can turn around but Mo it's been awesome to have you on the show and our fans are going to love this episode we'd love to have you back sometime Thank you, Evan. I really appreciate it. I wish you the best with your basketball part. And just, man, you guys have a, um, a great year. And if there's anything we can do uh, and going forward, just uh, reach back and we'd love to, to, to have another episode. But thank you again for your time. And good luck to you with Elos. And hopefully you can get that big three championship next year. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. That's Mo Evans from a former NBA player. And great to have him by. Good. This has been 
the latest episode of the Ball Talk Pod, and make sure you share and like us, and we'll be back to you soon. Thank you.